LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I am here with J.D. Greer and... JD, we are continuing the conversation we had uh, last time on the podcast. Last time we were talking about what Christians should know about critical race theory. And and this week we wanted to talk more about, JD, how should Christians have conversations about critical race theory? Because the reason we're asking this question is because on whether it's on social media or in churches or whatever it is, there's just a lot of conversation happening about this. And I think you and I would both agree that some of it is probably not the most healthy conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, in some ways you might say this is the more important of the questions. Yes. Because simply getting content out there is, it, we, we are relational beings, and things that touch things this sensitive are relational questions. They're not questions of the head as much as they are of the heart. And that's, for me, a really been a helpful place to start that some of my friends of color have really helped me to see in this is that for us, and we said this in the last podcast, for some of us, this is more of an academic analyzation but for many people this is um it's it's an attempt to explain some of the pain some of the hurt some of the 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 shame um that when these situations happen they connect to a long history and yes we understand that 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 a white person today is not guilty of what a white person did 200 years ago but um there have been ways that our society has been shaped there's a long memory there is uh, the legacy of sin and so it brings into these discussions some of that of of that hurt and so when i'm talking about the presence of systemic injustice i'm not so much thinking about you know how to analyze certain trends i'm also talking about you know what somebody experienced when they got turned down for a job that they were they were more than qualified for yeah. and so I think that's you know going into it which which leads me to maybe the first two things I'll say and then I'd love to hear some of what you got to say on this Matt because I know you've um, been reading a lot and having a lot of discussions on this with, with people on our team and elsewhere but it, it's important I think in this to not use a sledgehammer as much as you do a scalpel um, we talked last time about how people mean different things by critical race theory and when you just kind of say critical race theory is bad then then you might be you might be in somebody's heart attacking something that they they really feel like is important. And you know, some of those observations we talked about last time. I'm the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and what? Yeah. yeah <laughs> right, breaking news. Um, you know, the Southern Baptist Seminary presidents you know, released a statement that condemned CRT. And for obvious reasons, like we talked about last time, there's I, I agree with the words of their statement that CRT is not sufficient and it's not compatible with um, a Christian worldview. But um, because it was just treated with with a with a sledgehammer and as a blanket statement, there are people who heard that as a denial of systemic injustice, as a denial of uh, kind of white majority normalizations in culture and, and some of the things that we said can, are helpful observations that people from critical race theory or associated with critical race theory have, have observed. And so I think, you know, I told somebody the other day, I'm fine if we never use the words critical race theory ever again. Um, I kind of want to treat, look, let's deal with the parts of the worldview that are problematic and let's counteract those with a biblical view of justice. Let's affirm 
the observations that are made that are helpful. And let's just let, let's t- let's kind of take it apart and treat it issue by issue and, and not use a sledgehammer where a scalpel, I think, is more helpful. Well, I mean, I know, I mean, I think even on this podcast, that at one time we we were talking with Pastor Brian Loritz, who's, who's on our staff, and, and he's talking about just the levels of communication and mm-hmm. how, like, I think this is a great example of what level are we communicating in a conversation? You know, are we staying at this kind of facts, you know, level? Or are we having a conversation? Like you're saying, are we engaging with where someone's coming from into the conversation? I think oftentimes we're... It's like in any relationship, if you're having a, a, a in-depth conversation, you want to know, where's this person at? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? So that you're not, to your point, right. just kind of coming in with a blunt object and, and responding poorly to what, what they're really bringing into it. Yeah, right. Which leads to, I, let me give sort of a second, either a second thing or a second category of things here. I, I think you, we have to enter this conversation humbly. Hmm. And one of the ways that we show that is a commitment to listen. There's a reason that scripture says, you know, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I can't think of any area in the world that that ought to apply more than on this one. And just saying, hey, help me understand this from your perspective. Why does this anger you the way that it does? Why why do you assume these things are happening in this? Tell me about your experience. I've had some some situations happen where I was I, I felt very offended because somebody thought that I was acting in a racially discriminatory way when I wasn't. But when I actually talked to somebody, they explained to me why the actions that I did were interpreted in a racially discriminatory way. Now, that doesn't excuse the person who assumed the worst about my motives, but it does help me understand that that my action connects to a long history. And if I'm loving the people around me, I at least want to say, like, how can I make sure that what I'm doing is not interpreted in a way that I don't mean it? And yeah. but that only comes from listening. Yes. So I think, you know, the commitment to listen, I'll add another part of this, um, which is um, I think we have to listen to it repentantly. Mm. Um, now, repentance, I can only repent really for my sins. So, but I can listen. I can I can listen to this knowing that yeah, it's you know racism and the 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 drive, the desire to set ourselves above others by taking pride in our racial characteristics or whatever. That's I always ought to be listening, saying. Am I? Or, or, is this true of my heart? And it should be an easy, an easy piece of a Christian worldview to really mm-hmm. look at your heart and say, "I am. I know I am capable of yes. deep sinfulness." Right. And so I think you never want to approach these conversations in this. I think I think there can be a tendency to approach it defensively instead of like you're saying, humbly saying, "I do want to learn," and I am. I'm so clear that I know I'm a sinful person that if I did sin, and there's something I do yeah. need to repent of. I want to know, you know, I want to know so I can do that. Yeah, that's um, not the same as adopting the CRT idea that everything that I do as a white person is inherently and inescapably racist. That's not the same. Let me just assume that I'm racist because I'm white, but it is saying I recognize I'm a sinner. Yes. And so I listen to it repentantly and a sister concept of that, not the same, but, but related is I, I should listen to this in a posture of lament mm-hmm. because sin you know, one of the things we all learned growing up, or at least I learned growing up in my little, you know, Baptist fundamentalist church was that sin, um, the legacy of sin is always worse than, than you thought it was. And that's true of societal sense too. And um, we don't just, you know, change a law and pass a resolution and just make all the hurt go away. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, we can, we can repudiate what happened in the past, but um, the effects of uh, chattel slavery, Jim Crow, Black codes, redlining, and, and these concepts, and just the the attitude behind those things, those have left a long legacy of 
um, pain in the black heart. It's also left you know, damage in, in, in the white heart um, that we, if we're not paying attention, can hand down generation to generation. It's also built some systems that that were built with a view toward discrimination that we just need to say, hey, that just left some lasting damage. And for us here in the church, there's an especially important responsibility to lament because um, for many years, the church was on the sidelines on this, on the wrong side of it, and was complicit in it. Uh, Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, one of the helpful things in that book um, is just you know kind of painting that, that, that legacy that the church had and why sometimes we speak with a compromised voice in this. Uh, and so that again, it doesn't mean that we're responsible for all those things. And, uh, it, it just means that I, I realize that when I enter the conversation, I'm entering it with, uh, with some things that I, I can't pretend that the past hasn't happened and it shapes how I have conversations in the present. I love reading Isabel Wilkerson's the warmth of other sons. Cause she talked about the great migration and really how some of where our African-American community lives today was shaped by a lot of just discrimination that they faced and how that has, you know, legacies left in their families, you know, all the way up through today. Uh, I, I think there's also, um, I think it's a, a trilogy or a series by Taylor Branch. Yeah, Taylor Branch. It's about the civil rights movement. And I think Yeah, no, Pastor Brian says, if you want to understand the civil rights movement, what led into it, what led out of it, that's the the, the series to read by Taylor Branch. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really Yeah. Good. So understanding some of those things, I think is, 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 is a commitment we got to have going into this conversation. And, and JD, I think one other element that I know you and I have both thought about and talked about, but I think social media is just not not the place for this this type of conversation. It's it forces us to condense really complex and relational and fraught ideas into, you know, 140 characters or 280 characters. And I feel like that is just a platform that's created a lot of misunderstanding and makes it really easy for us to just assume the worst about people. Yeah. Yeah, I, let's go ahead and say it. Um, let's just not use social media. Let's not use 140 or 280 characters to try to have this conversation because it just never, these things are better done in the context of relationship because for people, they're very meaningful. And so, yeah, we, we can post like books that have helped us and concepts, but, but really what we've got to get to is walking with people who aren't exactly like us, whose experiences are different. People who enter this conversation wisely, that's always the way they do it. Do they have those people around them? Uh, one of a guy who's been very influential to me, George Yancey, African-American professor who wrote a book called Beyond Racial Gridlock, I referred to in the last podcast. Um, you know, Dr. Yancey says, he said, you know, more important, he says, you can keep reading books, but more important is you just need to sit eye to eye with some friends of color and, and, and them understanding you and you understanding them will do more to further this conversation than certainly hashtagging one another to death, you know, there. Um, and let me just, maybe that's a good place to, to start to bring this to a close here. We've given what amounts to some warnings for this conversation. I think some very important ones, but I, I want to emphasize that we've got to have this conversation. I know some people would almost want to flip the script here and say, uh, well, we just need to stop talking about this altogether and just start talking about the pain and injustice that um, people of color in our, our, our culture of experience. But ideas have consequences. And you know, the Old Testament gives a large portion to not just talking about injustice, but to actually describe, if you read the law, the nature of injustice and what's fair. Um, how do you respond to injustice and how to think about it? And so I think God wants us to think rigorously about justice and injustice and realize that that sometimes when people bring uh, worldviews and terms, they have baggage with them that can make the 
the the medication worse than the disease itself. You know, we've talked about how sometimes uh, people in the church will use critical race theory like a club to swat down like someone's legitimate claim of injustice. The moment they start talking about discrimination or they start talking about systemic injustice, you're like, oh, you're just talking about critical race theory and and all this. Well, you know, and I agree with that, um, that that happens. On the other side, I think a lot of people use that accusation to avoid talking about the very nature of you know, justice and and the and, and the harmful things of critical race theory. You know, and so that becomes a club to say, well, anytime you bring up um, problems of critical race theory, you're a racist and you're, you're you're not really sensitive to my pain. So I think we've got to start with the, the the listening to each other, but realize that a rigorous discussion of justice is biblically required. It is helpful for evangelism and pastoring. It's helpful for thinking and it, it honors God. Um, we want to make sure that we, when we help people and we advocate for justice, we're doing it helpfully. There's a book that I read, and I, I know you've read it too, called When Helping Hurts, mm-hmm. and it's by Brian Fickert. And the central thesis of that book is a lot of the help that we try to give to people is good in its motivation, but bad in its application because we're not using biblical wisdom in how we try to help people. And that certainly happens in a lot of these justice discussions. And when you read the books by D'Angelo and Kendi, it's, yeah, a lot of the, the medication is worse than the disease. So we've got to think biblically about justice and realize that the Bible's, the Bible's worldview and the Bible's concepts and the Bible's solutions are much better than anything that, uh, that's going to come out of um, a system that doesn't put God and the gospel at the center. That's good. Well, we hope this has been helpful, both of these podcasts. And if you enjoy this podcast, um, we would love for you to just briefly rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. All of those reviews and ratings just help other people see the podcast. And if you like it, chances are other people will like it as well. We'd also love for you to check out Pastor JD's newest book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? It's a great book. You should definitely check it out. Really good. God has a plan to help make your life count for eternity. In this book, Pastor JD considers Jesus' radical call to give your life away to the greatest cause of all and to view your life from the perspective of eternity. And you can check that out at whatareyougoingtodowithyourlife.com. I would spell that for you, but we'd add about 10 more minutes to the podcast. <laughs> what are you going to do with your life.com? That's it, and we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything. <laughs>